And look, I, I I get it. Ted Cruz, he's he's he. This is passionate about him. His his good friend Josh Duggar was really into child pornography. So like you know, I feel like Ted Cruz, just that's why he cares. He wants to know what's happening to his buddy Josh. another episode of the Habituation Room Podcast. It's a live stream. It's a podcast. We're coming to you live or from the past. It doesn't matter. It's a podcast. Uh, I am your host, Francesca Fiorentini. Um, you've seen me on a few things. And um, if you are defending Elon Musk on my Instagram, <laughs> unfollow me. Yes, it was a trap. It's a honey trap. For idiots. That's what those posts were about. If you don't follow me on Instagram, follow me on Instagram at Franny Fio. <laughs> What's up? Let's plug my own Instagram on my own show immediately. It is Oscar Sunday. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but I just sort of tune in for two things. One, who looks terrible in their stupid fucking dress? Um, who looks like kind of good? And then the monologues. I just want, I want a good monologue. I want a strong comedic monologue. And um, I want um, just one of those like, ill wardrobe malfunction moments. You know what I mean? That's all I want. Movies? Maybe. Okay. Movies ain't got nothing on television. I don't know if you've heard about what TV's been doing lately. It's very good. Um, if you're here, thank you so much for being here. Uh, if you're on YouTube, make sure to like the stream. If you're on Twitch, what up? I will be making sure that uh, there's all the hype trains happening, uh, whatever that means. So good to have you here as well, uh, podcast people listening in the future. If you haven't given this podcast five stars, do it right now. You're going to want to because this show is going to be so good. We are going to get into all things Supreme Court justices related. A lot of news this week. A lot of things happening. Um, also, uh, Victoria Law, uh, who wrote um, Prisons Don't Make Us Safer and 20 Other Myths about, uh, about Policing, or I don't know if that's actually the... Let's do this over. Let's do it over. Victoria Law is here to tell me the title of her book, but also to talk about the ongoing prison indus industrial complex, you know, free the, free the U.S. 2 million and all. And some of the ways, are we moving forward? Are we moving backward when it comes to this conversation? Where are the openings that she sees having, you know, studied and written about um, the criminal justice system and prisons and policing? Where, what, which, where are we going? I feel like it's bad, but maybe she's got other thoughts. But also for the hour, I've got comedian John Marco Sorezzi. He's so funny, so delightful. Um, I'm like a fan of a Twitter fan of his, I think. Um, and I'm excited to have him here to break everything down with me. Two new things though, or two extra things. One, we have a, a, an episode, excuse me, a final segment. That's going to be a new final segment. And, uh, I'm calling this one propaganda fail. And this piece of propaganda fail is straight out of North Korea. You don't want to miss it. It's very good. And by good, I mean, bleh, so bad. It's really bad. But it's a new segment. So I'm very excited. Uh, excited for any suggestions on other propaganda fails. Also, we do 
extra minutes on this show every single week for people who are so kind and generous and wonderful enough to support um, such a small podcast like The Bituation Room, such a such a labor of love, you know, who who want, are down to ride with the Fran Tifa. Um, Patreon.com slash Bituation Room is where you go to sign up to become a patron and thusly thou shalt be entered into a world of stories that you didn't even know we talked about. Last week, we talked about DeSantis versus Disney. The other week, we talked about Ram Ranch resistance. I mean, it was good. It's always good. And this week, we're going to be talking about um, the place where I've never had a decent meal. <laughs> Granted, I've, I've only tried once or twice. But Applebee's, um, yes, most things are frozen and they do have a thousand calories. That's part of the freezer burn. Uh, we're going to talk about Applebee's and some of their stank ass CEOs and bosses. What's going on and how is it emblematic of what's more broadly happening in throughout the workforce, whether it's and the power of labor, but also the greed of corporations like unprecedented greed. At a time when they're making hand over fist money, you definitely need to be on board for this show. So join the Frantifa. And to show that you are part of the Frantifa, hey guys, why don't you just get your little, little piece of merch? Just a little, little, little sticky sticker, a little tote bag, like a, a t-shirt. Bituationroom.com. Everything is union made. It supports this show and you look good doing it. Um... Yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Um, and with that, why don't we get started? How we start every single show, um, you know, which is asking you, what are you bitching about? You know, it's a new week. It's a brand new set of things to bituate on. Well, it's really the turning of the week. I don't know. What's the beginning of the week? Is it Sunday or is it Monday? Podcast people, it's Monday. I know for you. All right, uh, let's do this. This is What Are You Bitching About? Okay, so I am bitching about something I was talking about last week. We did a whole story on how there is no more money for COVID prevention, for testing. We don't even know if, you know, like seniors are going to have to fight one another to their literal death in order to get a fourth booster shot. Um, but I'm jacking up my mom on some roids if that is the case. But I'm bitching about the fact that we don't have any more COVID funding. And this week it dried up, which means um, people who want to test and a lot of the sort of like free testing sites, which if you're lucky enough to live in a place that has free testing sites, which I mean, I honestly don't know. Um, those are no longer going to actually be free. In fact, they are going to be dependent on whether or not you have insurance, health insurance or not. And as of last year, 30 million Americans didn't have health insurance. And these aren't like, I mean, first of all, number one, if you do have health insurance, you know, there's going to be like a copay. There's going to be some kind of, they're going to figure out a way to fuck you. I mean, every single month they definitely uh, fuck you and or your employer uh, by way of overcharging you for healthcare. Um, but the tests for people who do not have insurance are going to be something like $120. Really? 
You're going to pay $120 for a test? So here's, I'm bitching about that. And at the same time, I'm bitching about the fact that my ass has been burning through tests because I got COVID 10 days ago now and I'm still testing positive. And I just don't, I'm like, when can I have my life back? But then again, what kind of a life is it anyway? You know, because I'm still scared. And also, are we going to have to, you know, are there going to be booster shots anymore? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like, well, if you're vaccinated, you're fine for four months. Like, when does this all wear off? You know, it's like a spell or something, except, you know, the prince isn't left with our glass slipper and we don't then get to marry him later and little cute mice don't make us the outfit. That's what I'm bitching about. So, and if there is a prince at the end of all this, then maybe it was worth it. Um, but I can't help but thinking that Mother Nature is not done with us. They're like, oh, we haven't even passed the Build Back Better bill. We can't even rein in climate change. <laughs> they need to learn their lesson. Humanity has a lot more to do. A lot more to do. New variant, new variant, new variant. Bang, bang, bang. I don't know what bang is. It's me snapping my fingers. That's Mother Nature. That's how she works. Um, anyway, that's what I'm bitching about. Yay, Obamacare. It's been 10 years, 12 years. I don't know. 10, 12 years. Now make it affordable. Now make it actually aka. Okay. All right. Let's move on and bring in for the hour. Um, he is a comedian, an actor, and a stock photo model. Wow. Really? Now that he mentions that, I'm like, maybe I have seen his face around. He's been featured on Comedy Central and hosts his own pad- podcast, The Downside. And he has the second most Italian name on this podcast. Please welcome Gianmarco Sorezi. Buongiorno. <laughs> come by. Oh, that's all I know. That was it. <laughs> well, I think I messed up. I think come by is like, like multiple people. It should be come stai. Anyway, Gianmarco, how are you? I, I'm 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 good. I'm I'm in uh, I'm in Vegas right now. Oh hell yeah, dude! You know there's free drinks at the slot machines. That's the only thing that's free here. <laughs> that, this is like living in a scam. It's like capitalism on cocaine. Every part of Vegas is a scam, from the restaurants to the bathrooms to anything. There's money. In I'm in I'm from New York. They normally say you leave New York for the if you go outside you're going to spend twenty dollars. In Vegas that number is like hundred fifty dollars. You leave the room, <laughs> you're spending hundred fifty dollars. The vending machines like no, that's an eight dollar bag of Fritos. You're like what the fuck? Oh my god! I got a bottle of water yesterday for nine dollars. Nine dollars for a bottle of water, a small bottle of water, and not even a good one. Oh. Is this what you're bitching about, John Marco? Well, I, I want to try to e- be even more specific because I'm staying Please. at a hotel called uh, the Rio. Huh? Uh, uh, and uh, I don't know why. It is, I want to shimmy. It the worst. It, no, no, you don't. No. You want, to, you want to shimmy out of the Rio. Okay. This hotel is one of the worst hotels I've ever been in my entire life. And here's what my complaint is. My bitching is wife charging for the Wi-Fi. No. The Wi-Fi we we need to put this underneath water yeah. and a toilet mm-hmm. and a roof and electricity. Also, the Wi-Fi needs to be free. Coffee and an iron, but but oh my god, they're charging you for like shit hotel Wi-Fi. Oh yeah, well that's the one we're using right now. So uh, I I'm losing money on this one. <laughs> but uh, it it is it is insane. The the you go downstairs, talk no free coffee. You want to go to coffee? No. Go to Starbucks, get a nine dollar no grande coffee. 
So uh, Wi-Fi needs to be free. We need to establish it as a general social construct rule that it has to be free. It's too necessary. I agree, especially in Vegas. How am I supposed to Instagram this moment, Rio? No, that's exactly. it. It's like it's bad. It's a little bit of like the concept of charging for parking at a shopping center. But like on steroids, you're like, I'm already here. I'm going to lose money here. Like you guys are coming out on top. I'm not only paying for this stay, but I'm going to lose at all the games downstairs. So like, like what? And they do it. And it's like, like, you know, you go to the movie theater. You, you know, popcorn's going to cost a little too much. Sure. It's a little bit. But Vegas, it's like popcorn, $65, <laughs> motherfucker. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? You're like, nothing, because everything's a casino. There's no little store. There's no 7-Eleven here. It's all casino run. So, so oh. I have a funny st- – this is a really short but funny story. I, I, I'm, I went to Disneyland, and I forgot, like, a brush, a, co- a comb. Um, and so I was told to go to the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique. And uh, at the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique, um, I was like, do you guys have like a comb? Like some kind of like, I'm assuming Little Mermaid adorned. Oh, there he's drinking his $9 water. I get it. Um, <laughs> you didn't say it was Evian. Okay. All right. This is different. We did DoorDash. We had to do DoorDash to get it. <laughs> but I already, I'm sure Mickey Mouse. I know Mickey Mouse screws people over too. No, but I was like, I'm assuming I'm going to pay $17 for a fucking comb, but it's going to be like blinged out and whatever. No, 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 no. It was like a comb from 1955 that they forgot in a drawer. And they were like, oh, we've got a comb. And it was a dollar fifty. And I was like, you're fucking kidding me. This is hilarious. Like, I, I, so what I'm saying is there is one thing. That is affordable somewhere. It's like earplugs. There's something there that's free. And you're going to fucking find it. I'm looking. I got one more day. I've, <laughs> I've never spent so much money in a week in my entire life just, just by staying alive. John Margo, we got a lot to talk about. And I'm super happy that you're here. I know you have a show in a little bit. This is the life of a comic. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, let's get into what happened this week. Um, so for a little bit of a rundown, this was the week. Where Joe Biden traveled to Ukraine to hug a child and eat pizza with troops, also discuss a NATO troop buildup and pledge to accept 100,000 Ukrainian refugees into the United States just as soon as he finishes kicking out 100,000 Haitians. Um, it's, It's not going so well for Russia, however, in the war, a whopping 15 senior Russian commanders were killed in the field or as Putin told his people, they're taking a long nap forever. I don't know. They're going on a long trip. Um, Putin also said that the West was trying to cancel him, just like it canceled J.K. Rowling, um, which means the attacks on Ukraine are truly turning out to be a turf war. Um, Jamaican Prime Minister said it's moving on from the English crown as Kate Middleton and Prince William toured the country on a visit. Huh. If only there were some kind of like, I don't know, royal of African descent who could just sort of like make 21st century monarchy seem defensible. But you fucking missed out on that, Elizabeth. Justice for Megan. All right. No, that would be, it would just be like woke royally, royalism, royalty. That's what it is. Um, a Goldman Sachs CEO will be DJing at Lollapalooza. This is real. I know what you're thinking. Another bald white guy behind the turntables. He'll fit right in. But truly, uh, this guy's name is David Solomon or DJ D. Saul. Um, he says he enjoys uh, using music to manipulate crowds just as he manipulates the stock market. Um, he plays dubstep, which honestly, 
is so fucking on brand because dubstep is like the investment bank of music. Like it's always there to fuck up a fine time. Uh, and finally, Madeleine Albright dies at the age of 84. She was a trailblazer as the first female secretary of state and proof that women can oversee and excuse American war crimes just as good as any goddamn man. For everything else, this is the week where. So it's going to be a justice heavy show. I don't know how much of this you caught, but John Marco, this was the week where Supreme Court Justice nominee Kitaji Brown Jackson sat for a four day confirmation hearing and didn't cry or mention what kind of liquor she liked once. Crazy. Um, there were a number of ridiculous attacks on her, of course, from Republicans who are mostly performing to their critical race theory obsessed base. We're currently under a bridge in Dallas waiting for JFK to return. So here's, I'm going to take you through three different moments. There were a lot more. We start off with um, just a big old obsession with child pornography. This was not just from Senator Lindsey Graham, but this was from Senator Josh Hawley, uh, from Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, somehow, because Katanji Brown Jackson gave less of a sentence than what the prosecution wanted, for the downloading of child pornography and distribution, suddenly she loves child pornography. So here is Lindsey Graham, who's really putting his finger on the real culprit. Senator so if you're listening to my voice today and you're on a computer looking at child pornography and you get caught, I hope you're in, your sentence is enhanced because the, the computer and the internet is feeding the beast here. That all these images out there are going to be more over time because people use computers. So go after the computers. John Mark, I don't know if you knew this, but computers, computers are the culprit. You could spread massive amounts of images with pewters. It was just so dis disingenuous because it's like, it's basically, that's why we have the court system, to rank punishments. And so they just say, you know, it's like, oh, you, you let someone who hit a kid with their car only not die in prison. It's like, well, yeah, that's why we have the justice system because it's not a you just go kill them or not. And look, I I, I get it. Ted Cruz, he's he's he, this is passionate about him. His his good friend Josh Duggar was really into child pornography. So like you know, I feel like Ted Cruz, we just that's why he cares. Yeah, he wants to know what's happening to his buddy Josh. <laughs> that's the that's the guy with eight children, or is that the yeah nine children? <laughs> Nine, twenty-nine, ten thousand images on his computer. It's a lot of numbers being thrown around. Oh God! I, I, it, it was just. It's also such a for the QAnon people who just like to be like, ooh. It's just like saying it. Yes. It's just saying it out loud. Every judge in the world who's who was in the field, the, the courtrooms that she was, dealt with child pornography cases, and just bringing it up doesn't mean that job. That's her job. She, to, to and she explains it. What's funny is like she explained it so well. She was like, so here's the thing. When you're a judge, you don't just take what the prosecutor says. You also see what the defense has said. You look at the past. You look at a lot of things. It's like she, the whole time she was just explaining her job. But I do feel like at a certain point, like how often is the power of suggestion when it comes to Republicans and child pornography? Like, like at a certain point, they just want you to look up child pornography. Like when they're like, you know, you could go to the Google, wink, wink, and you could tap in. Like I could look at right now. If I just tapped in child porn, 
Oh no. Oh, look at, oh, wow. That, well, that I'm going to say any, you know, like, like that's what they're doing effectively. Yeah. I, I Google, Google's probably freaking out. They're like, uh oh. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, all this, they're probably going to start coming for like, you know, any kind of internet freedom, right? Like section 230 that prevents platforms from being sued for what people distribute on them, which is going to ice out even smaller platforms, you know, uh, because Google and Facebook and others will be able to fight off those lawsuits. So anyway, it's all kind of an impending fucking totalitarianism here. But anywho, there was more. This is Marsha Blackburn asking and again, hitting another one at like a like a little boom, like a trans people like you got to hit all the fucking I don't know what I'm talking about here, but all the little talking points of the right. And here is Marsha Blackburn asking Kataji Brown Jackson about like, what is a woman? Uh, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? N not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. The meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition? Senator, in my work as a judge, what I do is I address disputes. If there's a dispute about a definition, people make arguments and I look at the right. law and I decide. Well, so I'm not. The fact that you can't give me a straight answer about something as fundamental as what a woman is underscores the dangers of the kind of progressive education that we are hearing about. <laughs> Because a woman is someone who loves to shop, loves her children and God, the one true God, Jesus Christ Almighty. Praise him. Now, if, if Katanji had said that, if Katanji had said, well, they'd be shopping. <laughs> <That I mean. laughs> what do you want me to say? They'd be shopping? I do, be shopping. <laughs> I do like that Katanji Brown Jackson, like, she knows exactly the trap that Marsha Blackburn's trying to set for her and is like, see, I'm not going to take the bait. Like, I'm not going to even I'm not going to address that because it's not my role. And she then explains. So I am not Webster's. You know, I don't make definitions. That's not my job. If someone wants to bring a dispute about the definition of a woman, then we can talk about that. Um, I, I mean, look, I, I don't know if these hearings were ever more ethical, but, but they're just so much, they're, they're just so much has nothing to do with the, everyone's going to vote along party lines and they just use this now to come up with talking points. So they're going to hit trans people. They're going to hit child pornography. They're going to hit mm -hmm. uh, a, a critical race theory just so they can use it in their ads. And when they freak out for the next Supreme court judge. So it, it all just seems like there's a part of like, well, why even do this anymore? It's totally. it's so inauthentic. That question has nothing to do with with her being on the court. And it's it just gives them free airtime to get a free commercial and get that hook in. Yes. Republicans are good at making that hook. They really are. They'll say the same thing a thousand times until people who don't really know anything go like critical race theory. Yep. No, it's kind of the way I felt about all the impeachment hearings and the ways 
and and just everything where you're like, okay, uh, grandstanding, grandstanding, grandstanding. Oh, a substantive question. Grandstanding, grandstanding. And and like the more you watch these things, the more a part of you or a lot of you dies, which is like not a good selling point to tune in. <laughs> yeah. Um, because ex- for, to your point, we ex- we know exactly what this is gonna be. To the point where I mean, who could have? Who among us couldn't have seen Ted Cruz? bringing in props specifically books and specifically children's books which once again mr green uh, green eggs and ham this is his favorite thing so here he is uh specifically holding up a bunch of different books that by the way i mean did numbers after he started holding them up i mean like amazon bestsellers but this was this was ted cruz's little shot here when you just testified a minute ago that you didn't know if critical race theory was taught in K through 12, I, I will confess, I, I find that statement a little hard to reconcile uh, with the public record, because if you look at the Georgetown Day Schools curriculum, it is filled and overflowing with critical race theory. That, that among the, doc, the books that are either assigned or recommended, uh, they include... Critical Race Theory, an introduction. Uh, they include The End of Policing, an, ad, an advocacy for abolishing police. They include How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi. They include literally stacks and stacks of books, and I'll tell you two of the ones that were most stunning. They include a book called Anti-Racist Baby uh, by Ibram Kendi. And there are portions of this book that, that, that I find really quite remarkable. One portion of the book says babies are taught to be racist or anti-racist. There is no neutrality. Another portion of the book, they recommend to babies confess when being racist. Now, this is a book that is taught at Georgetown Day School to students in pre-K through second grade, so four through seven years old. Um, do, do you agree with this book that is being taught with kids that, that babies are racist? Senator. I do not believe that any child should be made to feel as though they are racist or though they are not valued or though they are less than, that they are victims, that they are oppressors. I don't believe in any of that. But what I will say is that when you asked me whether or not this was taught in schools, critical race theory, my understanding is that Critical race theory as an academic theory is taught in law schools, and to the extent that you were asking the question, I understood you to be addressing public schools. Can I say really quick, I went to Georgetown Day School, so I feel very uh, close to this one. Really? Oh, my God. So are you are you just riddled with white guilt, John Marco? Well, look, I just read the cliff notes to anti-racist baby. So I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really, I don't really know what it was about, but uh, it's, it's, it's so wild to think about all the books that are involved in a curriculum. There are so many books that none of the kids are reading to begin with. <laughs> but 
But to pick them one by one and say, because you're on the board of this school, you endorse every single thing that's said on the school. Number one is ridiculous. And then number two, it's like, teach it to the kids. Most of these kids, they're, 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 they're going to leave high school and hate high school so much, they're probably going to become a Republican. Honestly, Ted Cruz should be loving this stuff. It's, again, just insane, insane. I love the idea of Ted Cruz in bed at night reading through anti-racist baby. Just, just as he goes, seeing himself in the little images. You know, I, first of all, I do kind of like that book, Anti Racist Baby. I'm like, hell yeah, dude, especially in private school. Like, no offense, but I'm like, yeah, half those kids are racist as shit. Like, half them are like calling, they're like trying to fire their, they're like, you know, uh, they're domestic workers. So they're like, servant, you know. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, I got to defend my people here for a second. Georgetown Day School was, uh, I believe it was the first integrated high school in America, I believe, uh, uh, and it's, it's got a rich uh, a black and Jewish uh, student base. So, so you're right about public schools in general. And when George Kavanaugh, George Kavanaugh went to Georgetown Prep, mm. and there was a lot of time we had to spend saying, we're GDS, Georgetown Day School, not Georgetown Prep. Uh, that, wait, Georgetown oh, Day Brett, school. there's so many, oh, God, so many Georgetowns. Well, I did want to pick up on that, actually, because... It turns out that Ted Cruz sends his kids to a similar school that actually has like an explicit anti-racist portion of their charter, effectively. Um, so, wait, no, no, no. That's the wrong one. <clears throat> Texas, uh, Ted Cruz's daughters attend a private school that's anti-racist, quote-unquote. This is the St. John School, where Mr. Cruz's daughters are students, is an elite institution, annual tuition, $32,000. And the leaders have a similar anti-racist stance. Mr. Cruz said during the hearing, obviously, that Georgetown Day is an expensive private school in Northwest Washington, blah, 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 blah. But in June 2020, after George Floyd was killed by a white officer, St. John's, where he sends his kids, uh, wrote, St. John's is an institution that must be anti-racist and eliminate racism of any type, including institutional racism within our school and community and beyond that uh, the school's headmaster wrote that. Um, so funny. Ted, you going to pull your girls from St. John's? I'm just thinking about what it's got to be like to be Ted Cruz's daughter. That's a tough lot to be given in this life. It, it truly is. I just, there's one video of he tries to kiss them and she's like, <laughs> she like recoils physically. Just, okay, just overall context though. Look, this is like bar or the par for the GOP. This was then this was the bar for them. Sending oh out tweets God. instead of KBJ, Katanji Brown Jackson, CRT. So much class. Um, and and like let's remember, let's let's stack her up. This is an important graphic, I think. And I'll I'll read it for those who are not who are listening as a podcast. But between all of the nine justices. Uh, Justice Katanji Brown Jackson basically checks all of these boxes, went to public high school. Only four of the uh, justices did. Went to an Ivy League law school. Yes, she did. Supreme Court clerking. Uh, the, The majority did, but public defender, the only public defender. Sentencing commission. Only only Justice Breyer also was on a sentencing commission, was a district judge. Nobody else except for Sotomayor was a district judge. So talk about working her way up. Court of Appeals judge. She also was. I mean, Kagan wasn't, but most of them were. So, like, she's checking all these fucking boxes. 
She's got the public defender, public high school. Then she's got working her way up. She is so fucking qualified. And her name was uh, just so grossly dragged through the mud um, that I want a little final palate cleanse before we move on to this. Because I did find, look, I'm going to be 100. Um, Cory Booker is mostly cringe. Like the dude is like, you know, he's like, he's 75% cringe. 25%. He's got, he's got theater kid energy oh, God. running through he really does. He really does. And, and, you know, and like, it's just, but this was a nice moment. Him kind of, I will say I wanted a little more fight from Democrats than this, but Cory Booker didn't want anyone to ruin his moment. Here's what he had to say. I went to law school. I didn't serve on the law review. You did. I didn't clerk at every level of the federal court. You clerked for a Supreme Court justice, one widely respected on both sides, which really shaped you. And you did not get there because of some left-wing agenda? You didn't get here because of some dark money groups? And I want to tell you, when I look at you, this is why I get emotional. I'm sorry, you're, you're, you're a person that is so much more than your race and gender. You're a Christian, you're a mom, you're, you're, you're an intellect, you love books. But for me, I'm sorry, I... I it's hard for me not to look at you and not see my mom. I see my ancestors and yours. Nobody's going to steal the joy of that woman in the street or the calls that I'm getting or the texts. Nobody's going to steal that joy. You have earned this spot. You are worthy. You are a great American. I, I um, like I started watching that and I was like, you're so cringe. And then I ended it kind of crying myself. So, you know, I'm, I'm all, I'm all over the place on this one, John Marco, but yeah, it's, it's, it was first, it was definitely needed after all the horror of the days prior. It is again, it, it goes back to this thing of, I remember we talk about this as a job interview and I'm like, we need to stop talking about this as a job interview. Yes. If, if this was any job interview, it would be the weirdest job interview in the entire world. Where do you see yourself like, in five years? Um, still on the bench, probably. That. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you see yourself um, so, in 50 years? I mean, hopefully on the bench. Sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> No, it was it was definitely like like look it it is it has theatrics to it and sometimes I'm like Corey Corey you, you can just say the thing you don't gotta uh, add the thing it's the That's smile it's the yeah 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 I'd love to see a little bit of anger I'd love there's sometimes I think Democrats they want it to be so sincere that they forget that they can they can admit a little bit of the like this is insane yes this is insane that you're gonna paint this moment like this. Totally. Just call it out. Sometimes I want some of that. Yeah. It was I, a beautiful moment and it was moving and all these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 100%. It was like, I, I, yeah, I know you don't want anything to ruin your day, but like everyone's day is fucked. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> this has been an awful day. Um, anywho, let's move on to our second story. Because uh, um, in other Supreme Court justice news, this was the week where uh, another Supreme Court justice was in the spotlight for, but for his conflicts of interest. And yet, for some reason, Republicans haven't batted, batted an eye. Uh, right-wing Justice Clarence Thomas has had quite the week. Of course, he's not actually right-wing because, you know, they're not supposed to be political. Stop. Uh, first, he was hospitalized for an infection that definitely wasn't probably COVID. Uh, and now he wishes that he were back in that hospital because... Uh, 
he is now that he's out, he can uh, he can't get any more sympathy points because thanks to a January 6th investigative committee and specifically text messages from former chief of staff uh, to Trump, Mark Meadows, we learned that Clarence Thomas's wife, Virginia Thomas or Jenny to her friends, has used the pandemic and has really honestly done what every other Facebook mom has done and become a full blown QAnon Karen. She wanted to see um, she she's sent many text messages to Mark Meadows and to other Republicans. She wanted to see more Congress people protesting in the streets, Congress people protesting in the streets after Donald Trump lost the last election. She wanted the quote unquote Kraken to be released, a mythical pedophile eating monster that Trump keeps in Mar-a-Lago, of course. Uh, and she was intimately involved in the attempts to overturn the 2020 election and the January 6th Stop the Steal rally. Let's just look into this a little bit. So from the Times, text show Ginny Thomas's embrace of conspiracy theories. She had a range of efforts to keep President Donald Trump in power. Two days after the election, Virginia Thomas texted an old friend, Mark Meadows. Oh, that's fun that they know each other. How cute. She sent messages that had been making the rounds on pro-Trump sites, okay, so not even original, uh, where anger over the election echoed her own raw feelings, including this passage, quote, Biden crime family and ballot fraud conspirators, co-conspirators are being arrested and detained for ballot fraud right now and over coming days and will be living in, in barges off of Gitmo to face military tribunals for sedition. What? Do you think she added emojis too? Just like broken heart, broken heart. I mean, barge island. Or sent it like the animal saying it like, we got to release the Kraken. <laughs> it is insane. I mean, you, you learn Ginny Thomas. She's she's friends with the Pepe the Frog and Q and all these things. <laughs> and her husband is on the Supreme Court. And it's, listen, I do think it's tricky, this idea of like, well, uh, if the spouse does something that shouldn't necessarily reflect on the partner. But if I was on the Supreme Court, and my girlfriend was like, you know, that election, I'm not feeling so good about it. I'd be like, okay, baby. Okay, <laughs> all right. I will I will get the election overturned. I'll look Just into please, it. Whatever makes you happy. <laughs> I'll do that thing you like. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, not you, but Ginny Thomas. There is more. There's. I'm going to blast through this, but she wrote to Meadows, do not concede. Quote, it takes time for the army who is gathering for his back. What the fuck? So we know this because of all the text messages that are coming out um, because of the January 6th uh, committee and investigation. If you didn't know, her, me her messages tap into a deep well of debunked conspiracy theories, references to the rounding up of elected officials, reporters and bureaucrats from military tribunals at Guantanamo Bay are drawn from QAnon, which imagines Satan-worshipping leaders running the country and trafficking children. Um, but it wasn't just that, dude. So she was also on the board of what's called the Council for National Policy, which is like a dark money group. And she was one of the nine-member uh, board, nine board. And that CNP after the election um, had a huge role in trying to overturn the election. So it included circulating a document to its members in November 2020, urging them to pressure Republican lawmakers in swing states to challenge the results and appoint alter an alternate slate of electors. Remember this whole fucking alternate slate in what world in the alternate universe demand that they not abandon their constitutional responsibilities during a time like this, the document said. 
Um, not only that, but January 6th, the Stop the Seal rally itself, she was involved in. One of the organizers, Dustin Stockton, told the Times that Miss Thomas had played a mediating role among different factions of organizers ahead of the rally. They didn't know what they wanted for snacks. Was it going to be like orange slices or, you know, fruit roll-up? Uh, Miss Thomas disputed that account. And she said she, quote, played no role with those who were planning and leading the January 6th events, a claim undercut by her communications with Mr. Meadows, who was deeply involved in planning the protests that led to the storming of the Capitol. Um, so evidence, evidence, evidence. But okay, John Marco, yeah, maybe she's not close to her husband. Maybe it's like the Conways, you know, Kellyanne and uh, whatever the hell his name is. Maybe it's like the Conways. They're both in it together and it's all a scam. To get a reality show. You know what I mean? Like imagine yeah. that's such a long con to get a Bravo show. Um, <laughs> but, but, Listen, but yeah. I've been living a whole life to get a Bravo show. That's nothing. <laughs> But actually, they're very close, um, which is like, yay, love. Love wins. But whenever love wins, it's not always good. So the Thomases have been a fiercely close couple for decades. In his memoir, Justice Thomas wrote that they were, quote, one being, an amalgam. God. And called her his best friend. She often uses similar language to describe her husband. It's so funny because he volunteered that information. So you'll see these reports that come out. And, and he'll, he'll say, my wife has no bearing on my decisions. And that's like, well, actually, in the book you wrote last year, you said, quote, unquote, I let my wife choose everything for us, <laughs> including Supreme Court decisions. And he didn't have to say any of that. But it's, it's one of these things where, like, I mean, I guess this is what gaslighting is. But it's such a, a, an extreme form where it's like you literally wrote down that that's not true. An amalgam. An amalgam, a word no one's even used except to describe that they shouldn't be a judge. An amalgam. <laughs> well, you're right, because this is someone who also is so sacred about the separation or publicly sacred about the supposed separation between politics and decision making on the Supreme Court. But then there's no separation with him and his wife. Oh, yeah. What's mine is yours. Yours is mine. This decision. Ah. You know, so suddenly there is no line and we always knew there wasn't a line between his politics and his decision making he's one of the most conservative justices reliably conservative justices on the court every goddamn time he's going to be with the conservative majority <clears throat> like even Kavanaugh's had surprising rulings and like fucking Gorsuch that dude has had surprising rulings Clarence Thomas is never surprising on how he's going to come down it's going to be pro-corporate against civil rights um like against yeah that's just it like boom done um and he was in a minority vote about this very fucking issue this year he was the only supreme court justice to say that yeah no 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 uh, uh it's illegal to gain access to trump's messages to find out what happened on january 6th yeah yeah we should block that it was is executive privilege he was one of the few people or the few justices that did the only. And now, oh, buddy, that looks so bad on you, bro. <laughs> it's I, I don't know how to feel <laughs> at a certain point. You, you go to the Supreme Court lifetime appointments. All this has to come to an end because it just this is it's so upsetting. And no one seems to be able to do anything about it. 30 the only, years. He's been the only dissenter. That's crazy. Yeah, the only he's been on the court for 30 years. Like, that's enough. We're done. 
wrap it up. So, of course, he's not going <laughs> to resign. He's facing some calls to resign. Not all Democrats, because, you know, uh, that's not how they roll, <laughs> um, I guess. But, like, Ilhan Omar is asking him to resign. Uh, he's not going to resign. And he could be impeached. But, again, in this Senate, probably not. It probably won't happen. Um, but, yeah, that's... Uh, we will see how this unfolds, but just lol, the whole thing, everyone can shut the fuck up about not being partisan and the Supreme Court. We need to expand it. You are right. Um, let us move on because we got to bring in our guest. Um, super excited to have her here. Get us into and uh, blow our minds about all the myths that uh, American society tells itself about why it's got 2 million people incarcerated and in the prison system. She's a freelance journalist and she focuses on the intersections of incarceration, gender, and resistance. Her books include Making Prison Prisons Make Us Safer and 20 Other Myths About Mass Incarceration. That's the title. Please welcome Victoria Law. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, so, okay. I just want to start off by asking you, and I know this is not necessarily uh, what you cover, I got to get your thoughts on Katanji Brown Jackson, maybe even Clarence Thomas, but just th this whole week and specifically what Katanji Brown Jackson's likely confirmation. Joe Manchin said he was going to do it. We don't know. But what would that mean to have someone who's like been a public defender who has some um, understanding of like uh, the rights of like our rights to be defended in a court of law? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think that that's actually a pretty big step for the Supreme Court. I mean, as you pointed out earlier, none of the other justices have had experience working in public defense. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that Katanji Brown Jackson also defended for people who are at Guantanamo as well as a public defender. So she defended people who were seen as whether they they actually were or not the worst of the worst, sure. the people who don't deserve defense. Um, and she mounted a defense of them. She didn't just do lip service, show up once and never come back. So I think that this signals a shift or could t signal a potential shift in what we're seeing with the Supreme Court. Um, then again, there's still a number of conservative justices that outweigh the number of justices that might, might or might not be more progressive. But I think yeah. that it definitely is a step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, because you just heard all these Republicans just be like, throw the book at literally everyone, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and lauding the idea that you would throw the book and give maximum sentences for even the most um, minor of crimes, but mi even minor of them. And like that, that's kind of how we end up with the biggest prison population yes. in the developed world or in the world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yes. Um, but it didn't it didn't make us safer. I mean, we should actually have the safest country in the world with two million people behind bars. I mean, we have five percent of the world's population and between 20 and 25 percent of the world's prison population. So that should mean we have the safest country. We should not be seeing mass shootings at the rate that we are. We should not be seeing any mass shootings. We should be, not be seeing all of the crime and violence that dominates the headlines. Uh, you know, we should not be, you know, we should have a society in which everybody is happy and well taken care of mm. if prisons actually worked to make us safer and throwing the book at people actually worked. 
it's yeah it's almost like they don't work <laughs> if we could only <laughs> i'm sure we're almost there like i'm sure like like we're super close to prison innovation if we could just get like you know zuckerberg or musk on it you know like it's we're just right around the corner I performed uh, uh, right before COVID. I performed in a maximum security prison. I did a stand-up comedy yes. show, and man, it's one of those things that you're like, "Oh, everyone should have to go walk through a high security prison to see what it's actually like." Um, it, it was a little nicer than most of the clubs I perform at, but it was very. <laughs> it was. It was. It was one of the most harrowing experiences of my life. The host quit on the way in because she was so overwhelmed by you know the the it was dirty and and claustrophobic and the thought of anyone going through that and coming out better uh it, mm -hmm. it, it, was, it was your host it was, quit it was like so in protest i'm sorry no no, no not in protest i uh, comedians are not that noble uh just <laughs> just was just felt like scared the whole environment just felt like yeah scary and sad and it was overwhelming it was yeah. just emotionally mm -hmm. overwhelming going through that third metal detector and seeing just the the slices of the worst bread you've ever seen being eaten and yeah. it, it was a lot and it's something that if you are going to buy into the prison system and you've never been to a fucking maximum security prison that that's that you know you should go you have to go there because you just don't mm -hmm. conceptualize it. We quarantined for a month. Everyone went fucking nuts. Right. And then they think they're going to put someone mm -hmm. behind us for 30 years. It's, it's yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so you did mention one of the myths, which is prisons, I guess, are, are not keeping us safer. Because otherwise, we would have an incredible quality of life. Because we have so many people behind bars. What are some of the other myths, specifically, that you feel like are the strongest and the hardest to shake that kind of, like, you know, um, really undergird this system that has got such a stronghold on us. Yeah. So the, some of the other myths also tie into this idea of public safety. Like if, with that, if um, prisons keep us safe from murder, prisons keep us safe from rape. And what we have to remember, first and foremost, is that arrest and prosecution and imprisonment, if they happen, happen after harm has occurred. It doesn't happen before. And I'm not advocating that we go around thought policing people and preemptively arresting people, but they happen after. And most people would rather their loved one not have been murdered or that they not have been assaulted or sexually assaulted than have to say, well, at least this person might go to prison. Right. And then when we actually look at the statistics, which politicians don't like to do when they don't favor their, um, their stances, is that we see that prisons and policing actually do a horrible job of even addressing the serious harms like murders and rapes that occur. I mean, one um, only one third or two, only two thirds of murders are actually solved in the United States. And solved means you've identified somebody, not necessarily that something has happened to them or they've been held accountable or they've gone to prison. Right. It might be like, oh, we finally figured out who murdered Nelly. You know, it's that guy that died four years ago. Okay. Yeah the end. Um, or, oh, we figured out who murdered Nelly, but he fled the country. Okay, the end. So, I mean, and that number is even smaller in communities of color where the police don't take deaths as seriously. And it's the same thing with rapes. And I mean, the statistics are horrifying. I mean, what we saw, you know, with the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, going back to what you were talking about earlier with the Supreme Court, and even earlier with the Clarence Thomas hearings was this yes. total disregard 
of sexual assault, sexual harassment, sexual abuse of women. And we see this with the policing and prison system as well. I mean, for every 1,000 rapes that happen, only one third get reported to the police. So people are not coming forward and reporting uh, what happened to them to the police. And then of that, only 50 of those reports actually lead to an arrest. Right. So can you imagine having to go to the precinct and telling these stoic police officers over and over and over what happened to you and having them ask you questions like, what were you wearing? Were you coming home late at night? You know, uh, were you drunk? Did you have a relationship? Maybe you were flirting. And of those 50 arrests, only 25 results in a conviction. Right. So prisons don't keep us safe from rape either. Yeah. No, I mean, and actually those two things are linked. I remember when I, I, I learned that like, fucking, of course, our, pol our policing and prison system mm -hmm. treats rapists like it's some other crime. Like, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. That's a special crime. See, you know, like sexual crimes is people who are like really into sex, you know, like, no, they're violent people and mm -hmm. often turn out to be murderers. And in fact, if you had taken the rape case seriously, you would have fucking solved the murder case. I'm sorry, I'm getting very excited because this is, angers me. But mm -hmm. actually, that's so interesting. But that's not the way our male-dominated, uh, mm -hmm. you know, criminal justice yeah. system often treats uh, rape as a this could get worse. But anyway, all to mm -hmm. all to say, I mean, it's one thing that I keep coming back to right now is especially in, you know, here in California in New York, you know, as homelessness is on the rise, there is a lot of like, you know, Democratic mayors relying on policing and prisons to essentially clean up the policy failures that they have that Alex Vitale, whose book uh, Ted Cruz held up, um, mm -hmm. has said and discussed uh, on this show as well. But when it comes to like, and I wonder how in, in your 20 myths, like, sort of the criminalization of homelessness as if like that keeps us safer. Can you talk a little bit about that and um, why that is? Um, I mean, I personally believe that's a fucking failure, like that it's wrong, mm -hmm. but yeah, like yeah. what about that? Well, I think the thing is what we have to remember about prisons is that it disappears people. It doesn't solve social problems. It doesn't build new housing. It doesn't create new jobs. It doesn't create better healthcare or mental health care. You know, what it does is it takes people that other people don't wanna see and it puts them far, far away. So in like the maximum security prison that John Marco mm -hmm. uh, went and performed at and nobody has to see them and you don't have to be reminded that there actually isn't affordable housing in whatever city you're in. You don't have to be reminded that there are however many millions of people visibly out on the street, let alone like the people who are homeless that you don't see because they're crashing on their friends' couches or they're living out of their cars or they're camping in some further away place. Right. Um, but it doesn't actually solve any of the social problems or political problems, but it allows lawmakers, such as the mayor, such as the city council people to look like they're doing something about these problems because it's a quick and easy fix. Just sweep them under the rug, sweep them into jails, sweep them into prisons, look, we've solved homelessness. And meanwhile, nothing has actually been done about any of the underlying causes. Right. So it's a quick, cheap political fix for many mayors. Right. Yeah. I mean, it worked for Giuliani. Hey, yes, uh, it did. It, it really did. And and it continues to happen all the time. I, I, I do want to like, obviously, the point you were making earlier is, yeah, you can't go back and stop the conditions or excuse me, you can't once like 
wouldn't we rather prevent our loved ones and ourselves from facing mm -hmm. any kind of violent crime um, or theft or whatever it is, then like, oh yeah, well that guy, that person got put away. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. Could it happen again to you by somebody else? Yeah. You know, yes, there, mm -hmm. but like the conditions for it, right? Whether it's mental health services or, or housing services or all the ways that we let people down, um, whether we have we give them access to guns and weapons um, without doing background checks or even fucking with background checks, the fact that they exist. So, yeah, it's all I feel like that's lost on so many people. I want to ask you right now, politically, do you feel like we're making headway in terms of real policing reform and prison reform or do you feel like we're we're in a backlash moment i asked this to council member tiffany caban and i feel like we're in a backlash and she was like i don't know i think that even we're saying defund even though it scares people um uh, means that there's a little bit of a discussion any anyway, i just wanted your thoughts on politically where do you see openings right now I see openings in the fact that we're all having these conversations. I mean, these were not conversations that people were having in large groups, you know, in in a lot of media, like five, seven, ten years ago. Um, you know, prison and policing reform was something over there. Maybe people would be talking about body cameras, better training, racial sensitivity, but they weren't talking about fixing the underlying problems that cause violence, that cause harm, that cause homelessness and questioning why are we spending so much on failed solutions? So identifying policing and prisons as failed solutions yeah. to social and economic problems, and then saying, why are we putting so much money into these solutions that continue to fail? Why aren't we shifting that money? And that's a conversation we didn't have several years ago. Um, and we also see people organizing more around all of these different issues that make up the policies that have been sending people to jails and to prisons for the last 50 years. I mean, this is not an overnight fight where we can just win it like that. Mm -hmm. It is definitely something where it's like, oh, how do we start taking apart the brickwork that laid the groundwork for mass incarceration? How do we dismantle it brick by brick? You know, how do we make sure that the sentences that are given are not these draconian sentences that uh, legislators were hammering uh, Jack, uh, Jackson about? earlier, like, you know, we need to throw the book at people, we need to throw the book at people. But this has not worked out for the United States. And more and more people are aware of that, even if they're on a spectrum as to how they think that these solutions should be approached. Um, there are more people understanding that this is not the way to keep going. Yeah. And I'm available to perform at any prisons that may be watching right now. I have an open calendar. And if I can bring any joy in, in these horrible circumstances. How did the show go, John Marco? Yeah, uh, it was. Uh, uh, well, it was funny. The comedian before me, I don't think he really took in his circumstances because he was complaining to them about Spirit Airlines. And I thought, I mean, these, these the guy, the gentleman, the, room. the last plane they took was Pan Am, and you know he's saying like, oh, they lost my bag for thirty days. They don't get their bag for thirty to life. It was one of these situations where, and then, and then. I, you know, I went up and uh, I, I kind of, I think I gave the set that they wanted. I, uh, okay. there was, uh, if you looked at the room, the walls mm -hmm. were uh, covered in, uh, there's no polite way to put it, pornography. And I said, okay, I, I'm here to, to talk about that at noon, <laughs> at noon on a Tuesday. 
<laughs> to deliver the dirtiest set of my entire life. And it was good. That, I think it went well. That is, that's very smart. That's a good tack. Um, God, hardest set ever. <laughs> um, you could definitely host the Oscars now after that. Oh, sure. You, you, sure. You'd crush the Oscars. Um, I did want to ask you, uh, Victoria, about, I think about um, the, there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you, but when it comes to small reforms, right? That like, are they moving in the right direction or are they not? And I think like there's a little bit of two steps forward, one step back kind of situation that happens in a lot of prison reform. And even saying the word reform, I know annoys a lot of people who are like, it cannot be reformed, remake the shit from the ground up, mm -hmm. um, you know, replace policing, et cetera. But I know what's something that's been going on now. And I know you've written on about Rikers jail in New York, um, notoriously in inhumane, um, Bill de Blasio did take steps to close it. So it is supposedly on its way to being closed. The, it hasn't yet. And the solution has been, been floated to just create four or a few more other smaller, like borough wide jails in New York, as opposed to Rikers. What, 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 what do you make of that? I think that when we talk about closing Rikers and just having four new jails, what we're saying is we're going to have four mini Rikers. I mean, Rikers Island itself started as a reform to all the terrible borough-based jails that were dotted throughout New York City. So in the, I believe it was the 1970s, uh, the city said, okay, no more of these terrible jails that have caused us great shame and, uh, you know, our cesspools of, you know, of indignities. We're going to build this sleek, modern facility on this island. It will be centrally located. We're going to have all of uh, like the best amenities that 1972 can offer. And it very quickly deteriorated into a hellhole. And it has remained a hellhole. So I think what happens is we just keep going back to this model of we need to have jails. Mm -hmm. As opposed to saying, how do we decarcerate or decrease the numbers of people going into jails and prisons, you know, how, and that goes back to your question about criminalizing homeless people. Um, what do we do instead of criminalizing homeless people? How do we actually connect them to affordable housing? Well, that might mean shifting money from jails and prisons to building actual housing yeah. so that people can live in them. Uh, so it might look like increasing mental health services and decreasing money from the failed solutions of police and jails to do that. Um, and then when you have four new jails, you still have the same culture because it's still the same correctional officers. It is still the same bureaucracy that is uh, overseeing these jails and directing these jails that are just going to be in four separate places. Yeah. And what will happen is if the police continue to arrest and criminalize people, they will say, well, now this is overcrowded. We need a bigger jail, right. you know, than this, than this building we have. So let us build more. So what we're going to see again is the same terrible condition. So the people there might get a shiny new jail, but they'll still be staffed by many of the same officers that refuse to allow them medical or mental health services, who brutalize them, um, who refuse to allow them to have any of their dignity or human rights or bodily autonomy. And then we're just going to see it keep growing and growing. That's a really good point. I, I, um, I wanted to also ask you about and talk about like recidivism, which is like the rate at which people recommit crimes after they've been mm -hmm. in prison. You know, a lot of Americans look at, you know, 
Norway models, right? Norwegian models of imprisonment and all the open spaces and the amount of freedom and the and there's no life sentences. And it's like, well, how are you going to keep a murderer there? That's terrible. But their recidivism rate is like, I don't know. It's like eight. It's it's low. It is a low. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the exact number. And ours are insane. I, I think for sure. I mean, I don't. You tell me, but I, I thought they were like at least over fifty percent. Um, but they're not working. Also, once people mm -hmm. get out yeah. to actually help folks rehabilitate, reform, and and I think there was another really important example. There, there was no question that I'm just just monologuing. Um, mm -hmm. but one of you know the, this horrible, brutal murder of Christina Yuna Lee in New York mm -hmm. City by a man, a 25-year-old kid who is homeless, who may or may not be mentally uh, ill. And he had been caught a couple of times by the police and sort of let go. And to me, and I, I think to some people, like I'm of two minds, like my, my American like copagandized brain says, well, he should have been arrested and put away. Mm -hmm. And then my other brain is like, well, fucking the police didn't do that. Like they're not equipped to deal with this person who may not have broken the law in this case, but he should have, someone should have been following up with him to make sure he had like that he was okay or that he wasn't going to hurt anybody or that he wasn't, you know, like clearly he slipped through the cracks and the answer isn't send him to jail and that would have, you know, solved it all. I mean, what we're seeing is that, when you talk about Norway, we look at their, their open prisons and their low recidivism rate, but then we also have to look at the rest of the country where they have a social safety net, where they actually have you know, better, uh, better quality of life nice. than we do here. So somebody there might've actually been caught earlier as like, oh, th there's something going on with you here. You keep getting arrested for petty crimes. Yeah. You're like, you know, like, you know, doing something weird to the turnstile, you know, to uh. make your metro card work. <laughs> you know, like like everything that he'd been arrested for was like relatively petty, yes. but like what's going on here? So you don't want to call for increased incarceration for people who are swiping people in with their metro cards or messing with the turnstiles or other things like that. And I think also- Immediately, if we're gonna start yes. incarcerating swipers and jumpers- I know. I'm going to- I know. <laughs> which by the way i just was in new york swipers and jumpers huge uh, yeah. like when i was living in new york i was like it wasn't that bad but also it wasn't like whatever four dollars for a fucking ride at that point that's the thing they keep raising the prices listen i'm against jail except for the people who 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 run the mta like the <laughs> sorry i had don't mean to disagree just just though that one guy I think that if you ran on that platform, you would probably sweep the mayoral election. <laughs> Wouldn't be like, yes, we all agree. Um, but yeah, so what we see is that, but the the criminal legal system isn't set up to figure out what does this man need. You know, it's just like we're going to punish you um, for messing up our turns out. We're going to punish you for swiping people in. We're going to punish you for all of these things. Come back to court another day, mm -hmm. or be held at Rikers Island. You know, and but it doesn't address any of the issues of why did he decide to target this woman? Mm. Why did he follow her in? And then looking at the surveillance video, why did nobody else in that building, and you can see that she passed several other people who I assume lived in the building and weren't just randomly there at four in the morning, be like, hey, who's this weird guy mm. um, in the building that's following our neighbor up the stairs? We've never seen him before. Mm -hmm. You know, like there was nobody that like it, this rang an alarm bell for. And then the police were called and they took their sweet time opening her door, Jeez. you know, so they also could have saved her 
Um, and I mean, you hear, you know that police are very good about knocking down people's doors and shooting people in other circumstances. So, but in this circumstance, they decided not to do that. Mm. So you can't say that like, oh, you know, they never knock down anybody's door. They never barge in uh, without a warrant or, sure. you know, because they think something else is happening. But in this case, they did not. I mean, uh, also makes me, it's like thinking about housing in New York. So you want to live in a place with a doorman? Hello, oh, like who, who can afford that? Um, anyway, it, it's- well, she, lived in a, she lived in a place with a security camera and that security camera also did not do anything Exactly. For her. Exactly. No, it's it's such a tragedy, and and you're just like, yes. how can we prevent further things from that like mm -hmm. that without, again, criminalizing and locking more people away? One last question, um, Victoria, which is, I know you know we're in this moment of we're over the pandemic, but we're not really, um, and you've covered a lot of COVID and its spread inside of jails and prisons. Can you talk about? Has there been any policy change keeping prisoners safer? Has the, you know, ha has advocacy worked in this case or has that window kind of closed? What is the state of COVID and the health of the incarcerated? I think for, for a brief moment in 2020, there was a window in which people were more receptive to hearing about letting people out of jail and prison or not sending them there in the first place because prisons are just a hotbed of COVID. Like imagine living in a dormitory with 32, 42, 75 other people and you're all four feet apart. There's no yeah. social distancing. It's like saying you got to keep six feet distance inside a five foot box. It's an <laughs> yeah. impossibility. Yeah. It shows a misunderstanding of like how bad the conditions are to think that mm -hmm. you can make it COVID safe. Yes, yes. And so we had this brief window in which jails were not having as many people mm. be in them because police were making fewer arrests, judges weren't sending, um, remanding them to jail. And then prisons had fewer people because jails weren't sending them to prisons. Um, and then that now we're seeing a rise to pre-pandemic levels of incarceration uh, because people feel like, oh, COVID is over and we're worried about crime. And a lot of the mainstream media has whipped up a lot of fears about crime. Yes. I mean, the the killing of Christina Lee was tragic and terrible and people are scared, but the solution is not sending more people to jails and prisons in the hopes that you will prevent somebody else from doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and thinking about, you know, so this sort of pecking order of who gets COVID treatment access and who gets testing mm -hmm. access. You're like, I can't imagine uh, that the tests are, I mean, people are going to have to like trade cigarettes for a fucking COVID test in, in jail. Like this is, I feel like that's the world we're headed to and they're not going to be like prioritized for the, you know, a booster shot. I know mm -hmm. that it's been even hard to get, um, vaccines in, in a lot of, in many mm -hmm. prisons, it's been hard for them to get vaccines. And many people now are not asking for tests because when you test positive in a jail or prison, you're put in solitary confinement. So imagine being in the world's smallest bathroom with absolutely nothing no. for 14 days. You're not given medical care. They call it medical isolation, but it's not like anybody comes in and makes sure that you're breathing okay yeah. or that you've got any sort of like medical needs taken care of. One woman said that she told uh, prison staff that she was feeling depressed and she said not once did medical, did mental health staff come and visit her in her isolation cell. Jeez. So she was saying, I'm feeling depressed, I'm feeling depressed. 
she stopped short of saying that she was feeling suicidal because then they would take all her clothes off of her and give her a rubber smock so she couldn't harm herself. So she told them that she was feeling depressed. God. But she did say like, you know, I was really, really needing help. And they did not send any mental health staff to come see me. All they did was say, yeah, okay. You know, here's your food tray. Goodbye. Jeez. Well, um, I'm going to lift up this moment by lifting up or allowing Ted Cruz to lift up uh, Victoria Law's book, Prisons Make Us Safer, <laughs> and 20 Other Myths About Mass Incarceration. Get it for you and your loved ones and anyone who, uh, you know, I think I think it's a it's a good primer as well um, for yeah. the for folks who know these points, for folks who don't know these points. Um, so thank you so much, Victoria. I really hope you come back and yeah. and appreciate your reporting and your work. Thank you. All right. Take very good care. And John Marco, we have one more segment. And you may you may not be able to join the bonus because you got to uh, jet down for your show. Sure, sure. But uh, but let's uh, let's talk about this because it's it's very fun. We have a new segment every. Well, I, I introduce new segments a lot, and this week called for a new segment um, that I am dubbing "Propaganda Fail." This week's propaganda fail lands in the lap of Kim Jong-un, a place I don't wish anyone to be. Um, but <laughs> the leader of North Korea clearly is looking at Russia, getting all this shine, talking about sending mini nukes, and is like, uh, I could do that, except bigger and better. This is North Korea's video that they released um, showcasing their intercontinental ballistic missile. That means, yes, They've launched some before, not as successful. This one apparently was. It can hit and strike a uh, U.S. mainland. Um, so here, here we go, y'all. Uh, y'all ready for, hang on, this. So for people listening, uh, doors of an airplane hangar are open, opening in Pyongyang. The uh, almighty leader walking out just in some top gun or top un, as I would say, little style here. He's got a leather jacket on, he's got dark glasses, he's flanked by two generals. There she is. The ballistic missile. Okay, now, shot of him looking at his watch, shot of a general looking at his watch, shot of another general, shot of Kim Jong-un again, shot of General, General Kim, General Kim, General, glasses off. Go time, giving a nod giving a thumbs up he points and here we have the ballistic missile being transported with all the wheels oh it's so phallic look at that dong <laughs> okay so he's walking oh blast off i don't know what did they say, what did they say? Okay, we're pushing buttons and we have liftoff, ladies and gentlemen. There it goes. And the great hero is congratulated. Roll credits. So funny. Uh, the best part is you don't see where the missile goes. It just goes <laughs> up in the sky and then they all celebrate. <laughs> Who knows what happened after that? He looks at his watch like it matters what time it went off. It's not going anywhere. They could do it in five minutes. 
They they could <laughs> wait till tomorrow. It doesn't matter at all. Yeah, but doesn't it have to come down somewhere? Like that's my question. Like obviously this is a miss. This just carries the nuke, right? So it just goes. We do we know how far it went? Like where did it land? I guess I I'm supposed they... to do that work. <laughs> I think, oh, sure, sure. I think I remember way back, many years ago, like they had a missile that went to Alaska. Yes. And I was like, okay, well, I don't have any plans to go there soon, so that's <laughs> fine. And uh, who knows? It's hard to tell from that video. It looks like it only goes up, as far as I could tell. But whether it could go to New York. I mean. That's a nice leather jacket. Can we, can we just say, can we at least admit yeah. that, that he's, he's looking, he's, uh, he's looked worse. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, his lifetime. I don't know if he's got the meals on you know he wears these man heels um i mean i think the hair like i it is hard to st uh to style asian hair and i think asian men really do struggle with like good hairstyles but i no one struggled more than kim jong-un with his hair and, and like i just want to be real with that but like, trust me, like I go to a salon in Koreatown. I feel like they could really do it up. I feel like they could, you know, fucking something very 2022. I don't know. The, the <laughs> fast, quick shots where it just goes boo, 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 and they're all just looking at their watch. That's the funniest <laughs> part for me. Because it's like, well, there's nothing dramatic going on. So we'll just make the camera move around real fast. Well, that's the other thing is it not only does it feel like Top Gun, but the edits feel like they did have someone who was like big in the 80s. Like I worked on the Korean version of uh, Point Break, you know, like that, like they're just it's 80s editing. This was made in iMovie, no doubt. This was made in iMovie. <laughs> it took about 10 seconds tops. Okay, so is it a fail or not? Are you you convinced? This is, I mean, they went blast off. I mean, look, I, it's, it's a little scary. You see a big missile, you go, why? Why do we have these? Why does anyone have a missile? So I, it, it makes me a little nervous because it, it's just because I live in New York. It's just because I live in New York. And it's one of those things where we're number one on the target list. And I know all the Republicans would be like, ah, we hated New Yorkers anyway. So it's it's uh, it does make me a little nervous. I don't think I don't think. No, there's no Disneyland in in New York. And here's my thing. One of Kim Jong Un's brothers was he was not he was next in line after Kim Jong Il. And he he lost the crown because this is real. He faked a visa or he got a visa to go to to go to the United States so he could go to Disneyland. And it was like, oh no. And he was he was done. He was after that all think of it. He just wanted to get a little comb from the Bibbity Bibbity Bobbity Boutique. <laughs> and he was he would just forevermore. But anyway, so I feel like he would hit California or Florida, which like, please Florida, please Florida, please Florida. Um I don't know if it's a fail or not. It is it, obviously we we need to know where the rocket landed. Um, if you guys know, holler in the comments. <laughs> if one of our screens just blacked out all of a sudden, we're like, okay, <laughs> we know <laughs> it was Vegas. Uh, also, where his brother wanted to go. Um, Triskelly says it would landed in the Sea of Japan. Okay, all right. Whoa, slow down, Mister Know It All. I mean, that makes sense, but like, you don't have to be so hostile about it. I'm um, just kidding. Thank you so much. And thank you, John Marco Cerezi. Um, everybody, John Marco, you've got a show in LA coming up, correct? 
Yes, I'm going to be headlining Dynasty Typewriter. Uh, it is March 30th at 8 p.m. And if you find me on social media, I've posted about it everywhere I possibly could. <laughs> it's just my name, at John Marco Cerezi. At John Marco Cerezi. And if you are in Las Vegas tonight, go see him in half an hour. Yeah. Come into the comedy cellar. Yes. Um, thank you so much for joining me. We'll see if you have time for the bonus. If not, all good. Take really good care. Um, and thank you guys all for being here. Um, let me just read some of your comments. Thank you, Tony Spurgin, for the super chat. Uh, love you. You're awesome. How do I cure? Also, how do I cure my depression? Uh, watching the show, obviously. Uh, no, that's a longer conversation. Thank you, Seafish, for the super chat. Russia is America in a tracksuit. True. That's true, though. Um, <coughs> Jeremy Justice, thank you for your super chat. Deep down, I know Trump was jealous that, of that North Korea vi video. Also, that turf joke war, turf war joke was chef's kiss. Perfect. Thank you. I didn't know I had it in me, but sometimes you get one. Um, Roller Dragon, the pause said it all. I think this is Katanji Brown Jackson's pregnant pauses. If there's one thing, I mean, she's got a lot of qualifications, but holy shit. I've never felt comfortable pausing. Can you tell? Her pregnant pauses are like, mm, mm, you can have that baby. That's a nine-month pause. Um, Decepticon IT help desk. CRT will always mean cathode ray tube to me. Long live the Apple II coal monitor. I have spoken. Hell yeah. Only you know what that means, and I don't. Um, Rob Arkel, thank you for the super chat. Some comedians are experts at their craft. Some are genuinely nice and funny. Folk who know... How to monetize their personality. You are both love it. Oh, I love monetizing my personality. Uh, I'm just kidding. Thank you. That's really nice of you. Um, Shooby doop doop. New county jail built here. Jeff Curry. New county jail built here recently. The guy that made the plans had of them a million had them a few million over budget before they even started. He's a Republican state rep now. Gross. Disgusting. Um, Lawrence Congdon, are we sure that Vi that isn't a Viagra commercial running in North Korea? We're not. Oh, we're not sure. He definitely got it up. Anywho, thank you guys so much uh, for everything, for being here. And of course, we must do the ceremonial fart song. Hell yeah. All right. Thank you to all of the new patrons. I see all of you, all you $5 babies. I love you. You're wonderful. But for the $10 patrons, you get the shout out. Drop it like it's hotspot. RO the RT Rebel and Zoe Olivia. Much love. Thank you so much. To the big tippers, Abdul Kargbo. And Joseph L. or Lanternier or Lanterner. I don't even know how to say your last name. To the Twitch subs, Seaprince 686 here just for the drinks. Adam DeBomb, Grandpa Dragon 1953, Irie Man 42, Daniel McConkie, Pagan Communist Ashes 0610. Thank you so much. And for all the people who subscribe, Cat67 subscribing with Prime. Matt Gates on a white Ford Bronco resubscribing with Prime. Thank you so much. Thank you, Late Bloomer 66 and Lizzie Nepon. I see all y'all. Thank you for the bits, Willie Gus. Thank you for the bits, Pagan Communist. Thank you for the bits, Stone Cold Coder and Cat67. I see you guys. Braided Dragon resubscribing. Roy, I'll, I'll get you guys next week. Daisy Dragon resubscribing. Roy Roller resubscribing. 
You guys are fucking great. And I will see you next week or in the bonus after this. My brain just fart songed all over myself. Uh, we're talking about Applebee's and I'll tell you about the grossest thing I ever ate there. Uh, remember, guys, uh, thanks to Pedro Mac Maximilian Inhofe and Alexander Ornest, fight the power, fuck the patriot, Archie, and don't just bitch about it. Be about it.